Joshua chapter 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the children of Israel. No one went in, no one came out. Yahweh said to Joshua, Behold, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the mighty men of valor. All of your men of war shall march around the city, going around the city once. You shall do this six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall mark around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the city wall will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight in front of him. Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before Yahweh's Ark. They said to the people, Advance, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before Yahweh's Ark. It was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before Yahweh, advanced and blew the trumpets, and the Ark of Yahweh's Covenant followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the ark went after them. The trumpets sounded as they went. Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused Yahweh's ark to go around the city, circling it once. Then they came into the camp and stayed in the camp. Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up Yahweh's ark. The seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horn in front of Yahweh's ark, went on continually and blew the trumpets. The armed men went in front of them. The rear guard came after Yahweh's ark. The trumpets sounded as they went. The second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this six days. On the seventh day... They rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same way seven times. On this day only, they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for Yahweh has given you the city. This city shall be devoted, even it and all that is in it to Yahweh. Only Rahab the prostitute who shall live, she and all who are with you, who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from what is devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted it, you take of the devoted thing, so you would make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver, gold, and vessels of bronze and iron are holy to Yahweh, they shall come into Yahweh's treasury. So the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets. When the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight in front of him, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, both young and old, the ox, sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring the woman and all that she has out from there, as you swore to her. The young men who were spies went in, 
and he brought out Rahab with her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. They also brought out all her relatives, and they set them outside of the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only they put the silver, the gold, and the vessels of bronze and of iron into the treasury of Yahweh's house. But Rahab the prostitute, her father's household, and all that she had, Joshua saved alive. She lives in the middle of Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua commanded them with an oath at that time, saying, Cursed is the man before Yahweh who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn, he will lay its foundation, and with the loss of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. So Yahweh was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. So we finally come to the most famous part of the book of Joshua, the siege of Jericho. A lot's been said about this, and possibly, apart from the resurrection of Jesus, this would have to be one of the most uh, challenging books to, uh, parts of the Bible to believe. There's a lot of people that just struggle with the idea that they could shout and the walls could fall down. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's a few things in the Bible that really stand out as incredible miracles. And, you know, Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and the big fish, and the crossing of the Red Sea. There's these few miracles that just people seem to struggle with. <laughs> and this is... This is one of them right here. And um, so I've just I've done a lot of watching of videos about the archaeology of Jericho. And I found it so, so fascinating just reading and, and watching what's been discovered. There's a video called Jericho Unearthed. Um, you have to go to jerichounearthed.org, I think. And uh, that's an incredible video to watch. But there are also some interesting videos. I think if you type Jericho Unearthed into YouTube, you'll find snippets of that video. There are some very interesting discoveries about Jericho. And um, one of the Bible commentators I was reading, this is Bert Kaufman, he must have written in the very early 1900s. And he said in his commentary, no one knows the exact location of Jericho. <laughs> well, they do now. And over the last 100 years, there's been four major excavations in Jericho. First was a German team. The second one was a guy called Gastang, British. And he found evidences, evidence that the walls had fallen down. And he dated it to the exact right time, the 1400s BC. And um, he also found other interesting things which confirmed the Bible story. The third archaeologist was also British, a lady called Kenyon. And she found the same thing, that the walls had fallen and collapsed, but she dated it to 1550, and she said, by the time Joshua got there, there was no one living there. So she basically, she felt that the Bible story was wrong. And sadly, as is always the case, pretty much the entire archaeological community, except for those who believe the Bible, have believed Kenyon, um, and not believed Gastang, who dated it to the right time. And um, But since then, and of course there's been a fourth excavation by Italians since then, but there's, uh, there's an interesting man called Bryant Wood, an American. He was an, an engineer at first, but then he gave up engineering to become an archaeologist. And he spent his entire, you know, he did his PhD in Canaanite pottery. Can you imagine studying the pottery of the land of Canaan, you know, for all these years and becoming an expert in all the different shapes? <laughs> And he's, his research into Canaanite pottery has helped us to re-establish the correct dating 
of city number four. So basically these cities were built on top of each other and they, the city might be destroyed, but they would rebuild on top of the old city. And they didn't have, um, you know, dozers where they'd take away all the old dirt. They would just rebuild on top. And they didn't have garbage disposal where we have our rubbish taken away every week. So our ground level just stays the same. But they would throw their rubbish into the streets. Or if a city was burned and destroyed, they would just build on top. So over time, uh, ancient cities would slowly grow and there'd be a mound. And that was called a tell. It's an Arabic word. Now in Rockhampton, where we live, you don't see any evidence of this type of thing. There's no growing mounds. But if you go down to the garbage dump in Rockhampton on Lakes Creek Road, you see some tells down there. <laughs> So it's the same thing, it's just that the cities are not in that location, it's just where all our rubbish goes and the mound grows. And if you were to go down to Lakes Creek Road in a few thousand years from now and do an archaeological dig, you'd probably find, you, you wouldn't find lots of things because they decompose, but you would find things in the soil and if you found things from the very bottom of the pile, they'd be older than the things from the top of the pile. So you might find things, you know, from the 1980s at the bottom where they started the rubbish dump. But then as you go up, you'd find things from the 90s and from the, the 2000s and the 2010s. So this type of thing is what happens in archaeology. So as they, you know, they know that the things down lower are older, but as they go up, the, the, the challenge is trying to figure out the date of a layer. And one of the ways they do that is with this pottery. When they find a piece of pottery, they can often date the pottery because they know that in a certain year in history, uh, this pottery was all the rage. And it's a bit like iPhones, you know, like iPhone 1, iPhone 2, iPhone 3. And, and every year there's like a new version comes out. If you lay all the iPhones out on the table, you know, 1 through to 12 or what, however many there are now, they, they all look similar, but someone who knows iPhones can tell you, oh, that's iPhone 6 right there. And so it can be, um, you know, this type of thing is, is done with Pottery. And so this guy, Brian Wood, become an expert in pottery. Now, he came along and he, you know, he had these, this archaeology dating and he looked at this and he said, you know what, Gastain is right because the pottery in this layer matches exactly the pottery of the 1400s. And uh, so what we've got here is we've got city number four. So there's multiple cities on top of each other. City number four has got the, the right pottery in it for Joshua's time. It's the city that has a burn layer in it. So that, you know, we read in Joshua 6 that the city was completely burned. The burn layer is three feet thick. It's about this thick. And it's just ash, like that city was completely burned. In the burn layer, they found stores of grain. Some grain had been in pots and the, the, the grain wasn't burned, but it was in the pots, so the grain was preserved. Just like the Bible says, it was it was harvest time. But interestingly, even the lady called Kenyon, who was the non-Bible believing archaeologist, she noticed noted that the walls had collapsed. So what Jericho had was they had several different walls. They had a base wall which was made of stone, about four to five meters high. Then on top of the base wall was this mud brick wall that went up another. I don't know how high it went up, but it must have been fairly substantial. And what Kenyon and the others noticed, now none of them excavated the entire city. It's, it's big, but um, Kenyon spent six years excavating a section of the wall. They noticed that the, the mud brick at the top had collapsed outwards like this and formed a ramp. 
So the, the stone wall at the base hadn't collapsed, but the top wall had collapsed out. Now the Bible, we just read in English, it said that the wall fell flat. But if you read it in the Hebrew, it says the wall fell beneath itself. Now I always used to imagine as a child that the walls went straight into the ground. But no, the wall fell down beneath itself, like if you look down, it's below itself, and it formed this natural ramp. And the Lord said to them you would be at, that they would go up into the city. Well, that's exactly what happened. They went up the ramp into the city. And see, the other thing that used to always confuse me was that Rahab's house was built into the wall. And I always used to think, but if the walls collapsed, wouldn't she have died? But now we know how she survived because her house was built into the stone part of the wall, which didn't collapse. <laughs> so when they went into the city, she's alive, she's fine. And they just bring her out. No problems. So all these things, once you, I, I just think the, uh, you know, we don't get our, our truth from the archaeology, but I think that when you look at the archaeology properly, and I'm thankful to people like Bryant Wood for all the years of their life they spent devoted to researching things like Canaanite pottery. Can you imagine how boring that would be? But that it really helps us. And I'm thankful to these people. And when we see this archaeology, we say, wow, you know, we believe the Bible already. We trust the Lord, but it's so nice to know how it happened. Now, we don't know how the walls collapsed exa exactly. Maybe the Lord just did it supernaturally like the Red Sea. Maybe there was a well-timed earthquake. Either way, the Lord is in it because the Lord said to Joshua in advance this was going to happen. So it's a completely supernatural event. Now, I just want to finish with, um, with one thought. The children of Israel, they marched around the city um, once a day for six days, and then they marched around on the seventh day seven times. The first point I want to note is this. If they are marching seven days straight, one of those days is going to be a Sabbath. So in other words, they're supposed to rest and not do any work, but on this particular day, God has actually commanded them not to rest on this one particular day. There was a special day as part of God's plan where they were to rest. And I think, I think what we can learn from this is that there, there's a time in our lives when um, we don't rest. So we, we're supposed to follow the Lord's command to rest, to have a Sabbath, you know, to take time off, to devote to the word of the Lord, to, to devote to going to church and God's people, to not to do other work on that day. It's good for us. It's healthy to rest a day a week. But sometimes... If there's spiritual warfare or there's something coming against you or something attacking you, something evil that needs to be removed, you still need to pray about it. You don't take the attitude of saying, well, I'm not going to pray because it's a Sunday and it's a day of rest. No, even on special occasions like this, the Lord actually commanded them to work, even though it was a day of rest. And so we, we know that we can go to church and if an issue comes up in our lives, we deal with it. Even though we're at church, even though it's technically work, we sort it out. <laughs> and it's the Lord's way. The other thing that's interesting is that when they crossed over the Jordan, it was um, the 10th day of the first of the month. Passover is the 14th day of the first of the month. And it seems like what, we've worked, what I've worked out here is that the next day is the 15th, is the first of these seven days. So they actually marched around the city for the seven full days after Passover which coincides with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's a week-long feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we talked about this in our, Exodus, um, in our Exodus videos. And during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for seven days, 
they remember uh, basically the exodus. They remember how they came out of Egypt, how they had to leave in a hurry. They didn't have time to leaven their bread. The bread had no leaven in it. Leaven is a picture of sin, and the sin had to be removed out of their lives. It was a symbol. So now we've got for the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they're circling Jericho. What they're symbolically doing is they're removing the leaven out of the land of Canaan. So the city of Jericho is sim is symbol of leaven. It's a symbol of sin. It's a symbol of the evil that was in the land that God wanted removed. And so during the Feast of Unleavened Bread for a whole week, they're actually symbolically uh, removing the leaven out of the land. And the destruction of Jerusalem on the last of the day of the week is, uh, is like a, a physical fulfillment of the spiritual analogy. And so we've got to be just as vigorous in making sure leaven and sin are removed out of our own lives. And this whole book of Joshua about conquest, it's about removing the evil out of the land. God said to completely destroy everything in it. It seems, um, doesn't seem like God to say that. But when the Lord says to us to completely remove the sin and the evil out of our lives, it's because it's what's good for us. It's good for that to happen. And if it doesn't happen, it, it ultimately leads to great evil. It, it leads to our own destruction. And so these are all pictures to us of the huge importance of being holy. And the Lord wanted the land of Israel cleansed of all this evil because it was wrong and it was only going to lead to bad in the future. And ultimately, because they didn't properly cleanse the land, it did lead to bad in the future, as we'll find out in future Bible books. Heavenly Father, I thank you that archaeology confirms the Bible. But Lord, even if, even if we didn't have any archaeology, Lord, we would trust you. And I thank you for the scriptures. And I thank you for this picture, Lord, of, of uh, Lord Jer Jericho being conquered during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Lord, of people, Lord, doing exactly what you've said and, and seeing, Lord, victory and deliverance and overcoming. And that's what we pray for for our lives, Father. We pray for victory over sin, for overcoming over evil, for deliverance from the things that hold us back, Lord, for the breaking down of strongholds in our lives. And I pray that every wall, that keeps us, Lord, out of what you have intended, would fall down. Give us, give us grace in prayer and overcoming, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.